What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Coming up on episode 254 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the new Kia Sportage Hybrid and Nissan Altima all-wheel drive, Ford Bronco Everglades running through the muck, the Hyundai Ioniq 6, uh, no more buying out your Ford EV leases, and uh, touchscreens almost killing drivers at Pikes Peak, and a uh, conversation with Jack Hollis. All that and more coming up next. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. This is episode 254 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam abuel Salmon from Guidehouse Insights. And I am Roberto Baldwin from Reviewed.com. Ooh, that's a new one. I've done some stuff for them. Um, none of it's like been automotive, but I am doing some uh, some folding electric bicycles for them oh, right cool. now. So my garage, they're, they're, fortunately, they're not sending me 10 bikes at once. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting like a set of three, a set of three, and then a set of four. So... But I was like, yeah, let's give them some love. And, you know, if you're getting an electric car, get an electric bike. You can ride it around. They're fun. Um, and Nicole <laughs> says she's running late from the world's slowest dimmer, which I'm assuming is a typo, and she meant dinner. Uh, start without me, and I'll jump in. So she will join us in progress. It's just Although slowly it, getting darker know. and it, it darker. It might well be a slow dimmer. Who knows? The world's slowest dimmer. She's like, I can't see. She it's wants turning to stay the light, in the light ahead high. of the dimmer. Yeah. So we'll we'll see when she gets here. We'll see dinner, dinner, dimmer. Let's make our bets now. All right. So you had nothing to drive this week. I have um, driven nothing. Nothing. Just just some folding electric bikes. Which just just some folding electric bikes. I mean, if you want to talk about one of them, you can. But. I've only dri- I, I rode it down the street and back. There's a big oh. hill, uh-huh. and I wanted to, I just wanted to see like with one of them they could get me up the hill. In a, in a reasonable fashion, because it's pretty steep, and it did. So that's that's all I've done, because I went out, and then I ended up talking to my neighbor for 30 minutes. 
<laughs> okay. Um, well, I had the, uh, the 2023 Kia Sportage Hybrid SX Prestige all-wheel drive, another overly extended name. Um, but um, so this is this is the new Sportage, uh, and the Sportage is oh there she is. Um, <laughs> the the Sportage is the last original nameplate from Kia when Kia first launched in the North American market. They launched back in the mid '90s with the Sportage. And a little sedan called the Cephia. And, well, neither one of them were particularly... Well, I would say the Sportage was memorable, but in all the wrong ways. Uh, that first generation. Um, I I had a chance to drive one on a test track. We, we The company I was working for at the time actually was doing the ABS for, for it. And, oh, boy, that was a scary car. Um, but this is not. This is a much better vehicle. Um, and the... This new generation of Sportage has gotten substantially larger than the old one. The old one, you know, was on the small side of of compact crossovers, and this one is very much, you know, on the the larger end. You know, similar in size to the Rav Four and and CRV and other stuff. Um, very roomy. Um, <clears throat> it's got the same hybrid powertrain that's in the Sorento with the 1.6 liter turbo and electric motor um, and a battery under the back seat. Um, the design, you know, it's, it's quite, it's a pretty substantially different design from the previous generation. And it doesn't really look much like any other current Kias, uh, probably the closest thing to it would be the EV6, but even that is quite a bit different, uh, in its, in its design direction. So, um, it's, it'll be interesting to see where a Kia goes from here with their design, but, um, you know, in, in most respects, you know, it's a pretty conventional, you know, compact crossover. You know, it's like, um, aside from big pickup trucks, you know, it's the strongest segment in the U.S. market now. It has taken over from the likes of the Camry and Accord and, and Altima as the top sellers. Um, the the hybrid system in here, you know, I've always liked the Hyundai Kia hybrid system in terms of, you know, the way they the way they feel when you're driving, they feel the most normal of hybrids, um, you know, they're, they're pretty seamless when it's shifting back and forth between electric and hybrid and, and engine on modes. Um, yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's none of the, uh, the motor boating effect you get from the CVT hybrids like the Fords and the, uh, and the Toyotas. Um, but one thing I was a little disappointed with was the fuel economy. Um, it, the, the four, the front wheel drive Sportage hybrid is rated at 43 miles per gallon combined. The all wheel drive is rated at 38. Um, I only got about 31 and a half, which is the farthest I've fallen short of you know the label value in a long time, especially for for a hybrid. Um, and you know I've driven a number of other you know contemporary Hyundai and Kia hybrids, um, and you know they all they've all done substantially better than this one. And I'm not sure why this one did so relatively poorly. I mean, you know, not that almost 32 miles per gallon is, is terrible, but it's certainly not what I was expecting from this vehicle. I was expecting something in the upper thirties. So, um, that, um, you know, other stuff, you know, the interior, you know, obviously a lot roomier than the old Sportage, um, or Sportage as we should perhaps call it. Sportage. <laughs> um, and, uh, the uh, the infotainment, 
you know, it's the same kind of evolution of the, the Hyundai Kia system that we've been seeing on some other models like the EV6, uh, including um, the the strip along uh, below the um, below the center touchscreen. Um, and this was something that I had a, a initially had a challenge with on the EV6. Uh, there, it's actually a dual mode touch panel with a couple of knobs on it. So, oh, um, there's, it there's takes a, a yeah, it does take a little bit to get used to it. Yeah. yeah. The, so one mode is climate control, uh, and so if you want to adjust the defogger or the temperature or anything else like that, you know, you turn and twist the knobs. Use a knob on the left, one on the right. Twist the knobs to adjust your temperatures, turn on the rear, front and rear window defoggers, things like that. And when I drove the EV6, when I first got into it, it was in the climate control mode. And I went to twist the knob to adjust the, the radio volume, and it kept turning up the temperature. And I couldn't figure out how to get it to volume mode. And I ended up you know, just using the, the, the control on the steering wheel. And um, when I... Uh, that one, that's the one I drove to um, Elkhart Lake for the uh, the Mama Spring Rally. And I talked to James Bell from Kia there, and he showed me how to do it. There's actually one of the buttons on there. There's uh, a little fan icon and an arrow icon. And when you tap that, um, it toggles back and forth. So the, when you, if, it, if you go uh, to the arrow uh, version, it gives you media control. So the temperature knobs become volume and tuning knobs. And the labels change on there, and the labels across the touch strip change. So you now have labels for navigation and media and and assorted other stuff. Uh, so it's kind of an odd system. Once you once you figure out you know that you have to go back and forth, it, it works okay. But I'd I'd rather just have dedicated stuff for things like that. It's um, it's it's a cross between what JLR has done with the steering wheel, where it, it's contextual. You like uh-huh. as you do things on the the lights on the steering wheel turn to they, they become different uh, mo or different controls, and what Volkswagen has when it comes to its front and rear window thing with the ID4, it's not nearly as bad as that. It's not quite as nice as the Jaguar thing. Yeah. Um, I think what most people are going to end up doing is just leaving it on climate control and doing the volume with the steering wheel. Yeah, I think you're, you're probably right, that, and that probably makes more sense. But when I went somewhere with my wife, she wanted to adjust the volume, and it was in climate control mode. And, and so I said, see if you can figure out how to adjust the volume. <laughs> and you she definitely have to it. be told. You have to be told what yeah. it does. Yeah, she, uh, you know, like at least like myself, she was not able to figure it out without, without somebody telling her how to do it. So um, let's see. What, what else? Oh, the um, – the highway drive assist feature. So this is something that you know is on most new Kias and Hyundai's and, and Genesis models. This is their um, combination of adaptive cruise control and, and lane centering functionality. And you know, after having driven the the Rivian just the other week, and you know that one has essentially the same function. You know, lane centering control and adaptive cruise control. Uh, they have 11 cameras on the Rivian. Um, and five radar sensors. The, the Kia has one camera, one, ra- or one front radar sensor. There's a couple of rear radar sensors that use it for blind spot monitoring. Um, the Kia did a lot better job of keeping the car centered in the lane. And, you know, when you're going through corners, not, not wanting to drift outwards, you know, just staying locked in the center of the lane. It's a hands-on system, unlike Super Cruise that I, I'm driving now. But um, it's... It, does a great job. I mean, you can just kind of keep your hands right by the wheel 
just enough to give it just enough resistance uh, so that it thinks your hands are there. Um, but it will track down the road beautifully. It does a really, really good job. Um, and then the only kind of dynamic complaint I have about it, there's a, a few spots along I-94 and the like near uh, Detroit Metro Airport uh, where there's a transition from the main pavement to a bridge overpass and back again where there's kind of a little bit of a, a drop and come back up. And it, I think the, the Sportage feels like it could use a little bit better um, rebound damping when it's coming up because it kind of comes up a little bit too far when it bounces back. And, you know, and then when it comes back down, the dampers kind of lock it down better. But just when, when it's coming up, it, uh, it, lets it, it, it gives it a little bit too much bounce. Um, but other than that, you know, it, it, the ride quality is great. It's, you know, fairly quiet. Um, and then, you know, just the kind of somewhat underwhelming fuel economy. Weird. Um, yeah. Uh, so the, uh, sport, the Sportage hybrid starts at $27,290 for the front wheel drive LX model. Uh, the one I had was the X, SX Prestige with all wheel drive. Uh, so that's fully loaded with all the goodies uh, and you know, the usual Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, 18-inch wheels. Uh, this one had the uh, shadow matte gray finish, uh, which Ooh. looks quite good on, on this particular shape. Um, and uh, panoramic sunroof and Harman Kardon premium audio, LED fog lights, all, all the good stuff. Uh, and then some. Uh, and this one came out to a grand total of $38,000 even, including the $1,215 destination charge. So that is the 2023 Kia Sportage SX Prestige all-wheel drive hybrid, um, which <laughs> it needs to be condensed. <laughs> the and, Kia Sportage Hysa Prestige all-wheel drive <laughs> And, and as I've been doing my little uh, monologue here, uh, Nicole has joined us. Hello, Nicole. Hey, sorry about that. <laughs> so we were, we were discussing before your arrival. Yes. Uh, were you, in fact, running from the world's uh, slowest dimmer trying to stand the light, or was, was it a slow <laughs> dinner? I didn't say dimmer. Um, it was actually, <laughs> see, you can tell, like, I'm going to check Sam. I'm not going to make it in time. <laughs> um, it was really? the Lowest dinner, unfortunately. Our, oh, okay. Our that makes, I guess, more sense. Yeah. Whatever. One of our favorite restaurants that is normally super speedy quick. And I'm like, so of course, today they weren't. I'm like, you guys oh. are a podcast. So apologies. Come on. For- <laughs> Come on, you guys. <laughs> you guys. Uh, so what have, what, have, what have you been driving, Nicole? <laughs> um, I am in the 2022 Nissan Altima 2.5 SR all-wheel drive. I don't know. Is that longer than your Kia Sportage? Ultima SR mm. all-wheel drive. Wait, was there no, another one? Because I had hybrid and SX Prestige as well. Um, see, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff in there. Shoot. I was, dang it. Um, so, you know, sedans, which aren't the most popular of cars these days, but this is a decent sedan. It has a 2.5-liter four-cylinder engine, 182 horsepower, 178 pound-feet of torque. You're not going to win any races in this. It's not super aggressive, but it's it's – competent like accelerating on the highway which i was aggressively doing to get here to record this podcast i had no problem getting right up to speed um and it handled, well yeah just zoom right up there um so it's a nice car and it's quiet it you know sedans are about just kind of nicely taking people where they need to go their focus isn't 
off-roading. Their focus isn't on cargo. Their focus is people. Excuse me. And this one does a good job of that. It's very comfortable. It's very quiet, nice and easy to drive, but still responsive enough that you feel like, you know, it's not lackluster. It has plenty of performance for what you're getting. It is a $31,440 car. So it's not an outrageously expensive car. It's a nicely priced choice. And it's also it, not outrageously affordable either. No, but I mean, for what you're getting, I mean, this also is, this their, is the all wheel drive version though, right? Yeah. That's the the- and it's their midnight edition, which is something that's oh. available on the SR trim. You can't get this on the other trims and the midnight edition adds, it's like 1700 bucks and it adds LED fog lights, heated front seats. Um, there's power driver, lumber support, a sliding moonroof. You get a fancy blacked out stuff. You get a midnight edition <laughs> badge on the Ooh, back. Well, that's worth seventeen hundred bucks. That right alone there. is worth yeah. hundred dollars. Um, and you get heated outside mirrors with LED turn signal indicators. Ooh. Well, you yeah, know those, those heated those heated mirrors can actually be very handy in the winter time. Yeah, actually, when it's all iced up and you're just like, oh yeah. no, because I if, forgot to I forgot to scrape off the mirrors. Well, it's not, or, it's not. if you go someplace where it snows, you could have scraped off that stupid mirror. And if the snow is the right, the right miraculous consistency of water and ice and cold temperatures, and it just builds up, and you're like, I could see out that side mirror when this trip started, and yep. like, with snow. And <laughs> Then you're like trying to to roll down your window and take that off. And you're either going nine, you know, on the highway going like 59 miles an hour. And now you're getting snow in your face. Or you're trying to do it in a stoplight, freezing to like, I got to get this cleaned off before I start going <laughs> again. So heated side mirrors are actually kind of cool. Um, so nice, comfortable car, easily seats five. I mean, there's no problem putting three adults in the back of this. It's not something you necessarily want a road trip with three adults in the back, but it's very comfortable for shorter drives and for two adults. Yeah, totally could. Uh, there was again, you know, six foot husband and eight year old daughter sitting behind each other, totally enough room for everybody. So uh, that's my test for whether grownups can actually be comfortable in this car. Like again, I say, I don't know about Robbie cause Robbie's a giant, but average grownups could be ah. Ah, cause he's a giant. Um, you also get a whole bunch of driver assist features that are standard on this. There's rear automatic braking, blind spot warning, rear cross traffic alert, lane departure, sort of the usual suspects on this. And it does have some, it has an attractive interior. You get a leather wrap steering wheel, you get um, a leather wrap shift knob. There's an eight-way power driver's seat. It looks nice inside. Like, it doesn't feel like a cheap car. It actually looks, I think it looks a little nicer than what the price tag is, honestly. Like, for $31,000, you are getting a really decent-looking car. I like how it looks. And you get a decent amount of tech with that, too. You have an eight-inch uh, color touchscreen. There's Apple CarPlay and Android Auto which is nice. You know, there's six speaker audio systems. So it's, again, it's not like you've got some fancy 24 speaker Bose premium, whatever, but you have a nice, decent audio system. You have a nice, decent infotainment system. That's easy to use. It's pretty intuitive. I think the system that Nissan uses is, is not, does not take a long time to get the hang of. It has a nice responsive touchscreen. So I like this. I've driven this sedan. It's funny. I drove this in, a while back and it with all wheel drive during literally a, I, I saw it was like a blizzard that like descended upon me as I landed at the airport and had like a one hour drive home. And it was like, well, it's either sleep at the airport Hilton or get in the car and drive home. And I drove it home. And I got to say this handles amazingly well in the snow because 
the thing with like all wheel drive is great, but part of a sedan problem too, if you're driving in rough weather, it doesn't matter how good your all wheel drive is. If your snow is too deep and if you're driving over sort of those little berms created by the snow plows, you'll just bottom out and you're done and you're stuck. And this got through a lot of it. It handled really well. It was, there was a lot of snow on the road. So even though today it's nice and beautiful and sunny, I have driven this in the snow and this was one of my favorite vehicles to have to drive as sedans go to have to take through crummy weather. So if you want a nice, comfortable sedan, it's not outrageously priced. That looks good. feels good. Has good acceleration. And yeah, you can drive in the snow because I did it. Um, this this is definitely one to consider. I'm really a fan of this one. I like the Altima. Cool. Um, yeah. You know, and of course, you know, this is the, the one weekend a year that you don't have snow in New Hampshire, right? Right. The one. It's just this weekend. <laughs> the rest of them snow all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, cool. Um, so, uh, you also recently had the opportunity to drive something else. I did. Entirely different vehicle. Yeah. Um, I drove the, uh, are we talking about the Ford Bronco Everglades? Is that where? Unless there's something else you want to add in as well. No, I feel like that's the one. Uh, So they, Ford has, is taking the Bronco and doing all the other things it can do besides just call it a Bronco. There's the Ford Bronco two-door and four-door. There's the Ford Bronco Raptor. And there's the Ford Bronco Everglades. I'm waiting for the Ford Bronco, whatever they call the winter edition. There needs to be one (laughs) super snowy. That'll be the Yeti. The Ford Bronco Yeti. I like it because they have the Sasquatch. It'll it'll come it'll come with a Yeti cooler in the back and and a full set of of Yeti. And uh, it'll be the same like Sasquatch logo that's on things, but instead it'll be like a little white snowman-y Sasquatch. Yeah, a little abominable snowman. A little abominable snowman. So what this is, the Everglades is where the Raptor is like your off-road desert racing thing. The regular Bronco gets you through kind of like everything. The Everglades is the one that you want to take if you're going to drive through serious water think like the florida everglades they didn't take us to florida because i'm really thinking crocodiles and they don't want us all to die so they took us to this place called drummond island which is in northern michigan you have to take a ferry over there put all your cars in the ferry you drive out there it was it's like this very rustic island and there's tons of swampy like mucking around in the dirt i mean real swamp not like oh a little puddle that's two inches deep no an amount of water that made me it sometimes go, I know that you can weigh 36.4 inches. I feel like we're past that. Like it was a lot of water that we well, were. This, this is why I was joking about leeches last week. I know. And that's all I could think of, dang you. Like we're, uh. we're going to get out. And I'm like looking at, and I, it wasn't the spot I was at was just like muddy, but not like sink to your ankles. And I'm like, do I need the waiters? I don't see leeches. Sam said there were leeches. Like, I don't know if there's actually any leeches. There. Oh, I'm sure no doubt there was because this was like, this is muddy, mucky, brown, swampy water that they have us driving through, which it sounds like I'm saying they tortured us. They didn't. It was actually really great because you were torturing the vehicles. We were torturing the vehicles and there aren't many, you know, you can't know if this vehicle does what it says without foregoing. Well, here, we will bring you to an extreme version of what this can do and let you drive it through it. And the thing was, it did. It, it did everything it was supposed to. We're in water. I don't know if anybody who has ever been in a small boat, like, and when the water's splashing against the, the bottom of the boat and you can feel it underneath you, like if you're sitting a little, and yep. you can hear it, it was just like that. But I'm like, oh, my God, I'm in a car. <laughs> and it's that sound and that sensation, and it's freaking me out a little bit. Um, but we went through very long stretches of water that was, you know, 36.4 is the maximum waiting depth. I feel like we were right there. Um, they had given us waiters. So if we needed to get out, 
we had waders to protect us from the evil leeches and whatever else was in the mucky water that was there. And there was under the wheels, you know, they had, we were drove an entire day. It wasn't like a five minute drive. We basically spent an entire day driving through mud and muck and rocks over rocks and along the, um, along the water. Cause you're right along Lake Michigan. And we drove along there. It was, it was a, like an extensive and very tough drive. It wasn't for the faint hearted. It was amazing. I mean, this did it. We had, you know, this comes with a winch. You have a worn winch that can um, handle 10,000 pounds. It's got a hundred feet of synthetic cable and Ford even worked on the winch. It's like worn winches are already pretty amazing, but they did a few little tweaks to it because they wanted it to resist corrosion and hold up a little bit better. So it's kind of like a Fordized version of this winch that's better than the average we all have these winches. It's part of the package. When you get the Everglades, we didn't actually need it, except there was a tree, a tree that I'm still sort of slightly convinced that a couple of sturdy gentlemen could have just pulled out of the way. But the guy's like, no, we're going to winch it. Yes. A couple of sturdy gentlemen might've put it in the way. <laughs> That's a good point. No, this, really- this was a media program. No, yeah. It's true. But there was actually, there was that one and there was another little tree later on. It was, but it was, you know, we didn't need it. Like there's 12 of us. We're going through this muck. Nobody is like a professional, you know, swamp driver here. None of us got stuck. <laughs> None of us got stuck. We all did it. And they swamp have driver. Swamp driver. I know. I want to say like off-roader, but I feel like that's just generic. Swamp driver. Say swamp driver. None of us swamp live Everglades. Yeah. These are for swamp drivers. If you're a swamp driver, and I got the car for you. Well, the the other the other reason they probably took you to Drummond Island instead of the actual Everglades is because there's also no Burmese pythons in, the, in oh, Drummond Island. You know what? I'm not listening to you with the things that are going <laughs> to kill me in the water anymore, Sam. Did, Shush. Did you, did you hear about moving. the one they just caught in Florida a couple exactly. weeks ago? See that cargo, Eight, 18 cargoes? feet long, 215 yeah. pounds. No, I don't. I, everything in Florida. I feel like everything in Florida wants to kill you. It's big and scary and wants yeah. to kill you. It's like crocodiles, alligators. And then you- there's the wildlife. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, anyway. So it was. So it was. I mean, the Everglades is a very purpose specific vehicle, but it's, you know, you don't have to be driving it in those circumstances. It has a snorkel on it too. So, you know, you can, you can handle this water. If you don't really need that much like every other off-road vehicle you don't have to do as much off-roading as they say you can do but you can still buy it if you want it you know i don't know how many people will need this kind of capability but if you do live someplace where it's swampy it is amazing um and to be able to get through all that water and it truly as you're driving along and you're looking at the, and some of these muddy ruts that we're driving through that's like you can just see the vehicle just sink into the mud and come right out the other side it was cool to see. And it is kind of exciting to think that you could do that. And it did prove that, you know, they, they built this to be able to get through that kind of, that kind of off-road terrain and it did it. No problem. I, I assume you didn't go doors off that, that day. Um, no, but some guys did do <laughs> roof off. Like they took the roof and I was like, uh... you people are nutcases. Cause you know what else swamps have? Mosquitoes the size of sparrows. I'm like, I am not. Leeches, just flying leeches <laughs> all over the place. Yeah, I'm like, I well, the mosquitoes are carrying the leeches and dropping yeah, and they drop them. with them. See, I, no, I had my everything buttoned up nice and tight. But um, yeah, there was no way I was going to do that. But uh, yeah, so there were, did anyone have doors off? I know there were some windows open and there was roofs off. I know a couple of guys that like, <laughs> got to, 
forgot to do the sunscreen thing. And I'm like, you know, you're bald. Uh, sunscreen on, good sir. Um, yeah. And there was a, a couple, one of the couple of Ford folks. I don't know why they picked white, why you would wear anything white. Uh, <laughs> and they went. It's like a lot of the folks just haven't done a lot of off roading. Well, the Ford folks have. These guys do. And wearing, they're all weak. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to put like, some white on. Got like mud on them. And I'm, I'm thinking, and I wore like my nastiest jeans, beat up sneakers and uh, clothes. And I'm like, if these have to stay in a trash can in Michigan at the end of this, I'm okay. (laughs) They need to, uh, they need to have everybody in the communications team actually go and and spend a week with Mike Levine before they do stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Mike Levine lives in a house. I think he lives in a Ford Bronco in the desert. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) You don't think he goes back and forth between a Bronco and a Ranger. Yeah. Yeah, I'm out here in the uh, nowhere land. Here's another thing. Yeah. For for so. for those that don't know Mike, he he is the uh, director of North American Product Communications for Ford, and he is um, constantly sharing images online well, of the net the, these most amazing sunrises and sunsets and starry skies when he's out there in the middle of nowhere with whatever Ford off road thing he's driving <laughs> at any given moment. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah, so. the Everglades. So it's. It's pretty amazing. It's start- how much is it? Oh, sorry. I'm trying to get no. I'm trying to get the starting price. I should have had that in front of me, and I didn't. You know, I'm going to blame dinner because I didn't open this up until the last second. But it's like in the fifty-five thousand dollar ish range, um, which is like a lot, but not a lot. Think about what off-road vehicle yeah. more like really like like capable, not just like oh, you can put it in all-wheel drive and drive through that field. No, but like yeah, I mean, a, a Wrangler Rubicon or a Land Rover Defender is going to cost you at least as much. So right. Yeah. So it's not a crazy outrageous price. It's a price that feels fair for what you're getting. Um, and I, you know, it was, um, it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, it was a unique thing and I've done a lot of random off-road driving over the years. And this is the first time I've ever driven through anything like this. So I've never had another OEM or another event where you were just, there was just so much mud and water and muck. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a, 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 I'm hoping if you buy the Ford Bronco Everglades or any other vehicle and you're fording through water, Yes. Um, moving water like rivers and floods and what like don't drive through that even oh, if okay. it's only like a like a foot or like 18 inches and you're like well my car no no that's not the same completely not the <laughs> same because first of all you're usually driving over concrete or asphalt so you're going to slip and water is very powerful at the end of the day water always wins <laughs> there's a reason why the grand canyon exists exactly right? you know, water it's not, always it's not full of water wins. You know, like you, yes. and you really you truly you do have to be careful going through water you never like is even if it's standing water like some of these spots like these they, they, they soaked out this course so they know but then it, we had really torrential rains right before so some of it wasn't quite what it was literally 24 hours before, but they're saying, you know, we know there's a rock here. We know there's a rock there. And there's things, if you just went blasting through this water that looks pretty smooth and calm and whatever, there are rocks under there that if you just hit them, you're going to, you don't want to hit them like that. Like go through with a certain amount of caution. You can't see what's down there. So pay attention to how you're driving and don't just go blazing through, even if it's, you know, standing water, not like a river, which you shouldn't be driving through anyway. You know, and we should, I should also say they had the guys from Tread Lightly, I think it is out there. So we were like on an area where you were allowed to drive. We weren't just randomly tearing up a natural preserve with no regard for anything. So we, it was very responsible off roading before anyone, because I know, especially with water, people get very concerned about that. But they got leeches. <laughs> yeah, those leeches, you don't want to hurt the leeches. Oh, and also, I just double check, I had 55 in my head because that was my ad. 
as sort of like as tested price, it starts at about 35. Well, the Bronco oh. starts at 35, yeah. but not right. the Everglades. What's the Everglades start at? Everglades starts at 53. Oh, does it start at 53? Okay. Yeah. All right. And it, is it four-door only for the Everglades? Yes. Okay. Four-door only. You would, I, I, but I mean, is it that bad? I like the two-door Bronco. I don't want people in my car. <laughs> you don't have to bring people in your car. You can leave people behind. I guess it's easy to get the dogs in and out. All right, I guess it's yeah. fine. Especially with the muck. Imagine they've mucked around in that water. Mucked they're, around. They're going to leap over the driver's seat to get into the back seat. You don't want yeah. that. Yeah. And, well, I just and make a little, I put a little staircase in the back and they just doot, 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 doot. <laughs> I'm glad you have a plan for the dogs. And, 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 Always a plan. and back to your point about, you know, being careful going through the water. The other thing you, you don't want to do, you don't, the other reason you don't want to go through water really fast is because there might be something sharp down there that's going to cut your tire. Yeah. And the last thing you want to be doing is be stuck in the middle of a, a river exactly. with a flat tire. If you, well, if you, you have the fortunately you have the winch, so you can just drag your car out and then change the flat but tire. If, yeah. if, you never, if you haven't driven in water, like even if you get the Bronco Everglades, I don't recommend you immediately find thirty six point four inches of water <laughs> to wade through. Like, you want to build up to it. Yeah, build up to it. Take a class. There's probably a class. Just because you can doesn't mean so, you should. Like figure out yeah. how. Like work your way up because if you just start driving through that kind of water, you're suddenly going to be in four and a half feet of water and be like, whoops, and you're going to be in trouble. So don't, you know, yeah, you can do this, but make sure you know how to do this before you do that kind of aggressive driving through water. Baby steps. Baby steps. We all did baby steps. We all learned like, you know, driving quickly, driving, you know. Yeah. We we all learned that by driving slowly first. Exactly. So be responsible when you're driving this thing. Don't be a lunatic. That's right. Well, you but should you, are, you should be that all the make time. Make sure to put it on YouTube so we can all point and laugh. <laughs> At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow. But I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but... If you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. This year, build your credit history with the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. No credit checks to apply. Get started at Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Chime checking account and 200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? 
Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All right. Um, let's stick with Ford for a minute. Um, there was some news that came out of Ford this week um, that um, going forward, they are changing the terms on new leases um, for customers that are getting electric vehicles. Um, traditionally, you know, when you lease a vehicle uh, in the contract, they give you at the end, you know, at the end of the lease term, they give you a price that, you know, if you want to keep that vehicle, you know, here's the price you're going to pay for it if you want to if you want to buy it and just keep it forever. Um, and there, I've only ever leased a vehicle one time, and we did end up buying it at the end of the lease and, and keeping it. Uh, but um, going forward for Ford electric vehicles, you will no longer have that option. Um, you're going to have to give the give the EV back to Ford at the end of the lease. If you want to keep it, you got to just buy it outright at the beginning. You can't you can't do a lease and then buy it. Is that just people who are buying EVs from like here on out? Like if you have one, yeah, go buy yeah. It. If you if you currently have if you're currently already leasing a, a Lightning or or a Mach-E, you're fine. Um, you know you still have that option in your contract, but uh, from now on, um, you can't buy it at the end of the lease. It's going back to Ford, and and they'll decide where they want to put it. Um, what do you think about this? It's I I'm confused at the like well it's because of batteries I'm like what do you mean because <laughs> at least like even a like a, even a high end you know at least with fifteen thousand miles you get a three or lease that's only forty five thousand miles on the yeah. vehicle unless you like you know drive it but even then the battery should be fine you should make yeah like I, I don't 3%, think that's five percent I'm I'm confused at the battery I, I don't think battery. I don't think that's the real reason um you know I think what it is they. They want to have more control over the resale value of these vehicles because traditionally most EVs <clears throat> have uh, experienced a lot more depreciation over time over the first several years uh, because there was uncertainty among customers about you know what the condition of the battery is and and all this stuff and um, so and also because of the uh, the tax incentives the seventy five hundred dollar tax break. Um, that was generally factored in to the the resale value. So you know, if you bought a, you know, 40, a forty seven thousand five hundred dollar EV and you got that seventy five hundred dollars off, they figured the depreciation based on that forty thousand dollar net value net price rather than the actual sticker price. And mm-hmm. so you had the same amount of depreciation, but it was from starting from a lower point. So your overall depreciation was greater. And I think, you know, what part of this, what Ford wants to do, and Tesla has done the same thing. They, you know, in Tesla leases, you don't have the option to buy it uh, most of the time. There, there's 
there have been some uh, some leases where they've done that, but most Tesla leases, you don't get the option to buy it at the end of the lease. You have to turn it back into Tesla. Um, and uh, I think uh, you know they they have what they what Tesla has done is they have controlled the flow of <clears throat> used off lease Teslas back into the used car market to try to keep the the prices up and keep the prices high um, mm-hmm. rather than just flooding the market with all these off-lease cars, um, which is one of the problems that other automakers have traditionally had in the past is, um, is I three. Flood, yeah. Flooding, flooding the market with off-lease cars. Um, and this is, that's also one of the reasons why companies like BMW originally started doing certified pre-owned programs. So, you know, that basically what they were doing was taking, trade-ins but mostly off-lease bmws because they bmw leases most of their vehicles most bmw customers don't buy they lease and so they were taking those you know cleaning them up refurbing them and then reselling them with a warranty and i'm sure that's what ford's going to be doing with these you know they'll they'll parcel them out and you know do a cpo type program and also make sure their dealers have some inventory of used evs to sell um so um, yeah, I, I, I don't know why they said batteries, but whatever. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that's that's what was speculated in some other reports, but I, I don't think that that's entirely the the situation. Um, also with EVs, um, yesterday as we record this, we're recording this a little early this week because of the upcoming long weekend. Um, Hyundai uh, released photos of the Ionic Six. Uh, their next EV that's coming out uh, later this year. I think their the full reveal is in mid July, if I'm mm-hmm. if I recall. But um, what do you what do you think about the Ionic Six? It looks good. I like it's, it. Someone said it looks like a Pokemon. I forget who. Someone on the internet said oh, the front looks like a Pokemon, and I'm like, oh, it does look like a Pokemon. <laughs> How's it, now? I'm gonna call it. Why does it look Pokemon? like a Pokemon? I don't does, see a Pokemon. The front does look like a Pokemon. Well, if it was bright yellow or something, it could be a Pikachu. But I feel like, generally speaking, there's a lot of Pokemon out there. How does it look like? You got to catch them all, Nicole. I mean, which Pokemon, <laughs> which Pokemon are we talking about, Robbie? It's just Pokemon in general. Is it because it looks like cute? if there was a Pokemon car, it would be the Ionic Six? I'm trying to just look at like the headlights. And the I guess it kind of has a Pokemon vibe. It's cute. But then you take your hand away and you look at the whole thing and you're like, ooh, sexy little car. Pika Pika. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it's got a you know, it's got a bit of Mercedes CLS there with the slope in the back. Yeah. Um and, and you know, you look at the you look at it in profile and you see the, the side glass, you know, it kind of curves down a little bit towards the back end. Um and then uh the interior, uh you know, the the one the photos they showed are with the optional camera mirror system so there's no outside mirrors there's just a couple of little cameras on stocks that stick out at the base of the a pillar and then the the dashboard curves up at either end and there's a display there uh for that shows what the cameras are seeing so instead of outside mirrors you get the you get that interior display um but yeah no no technical details on this although you know other than it's on the same egmp platform as the ionic 5 and the uh, Kia EV6 and, and other upcoming models. Um, I think there's some speculation somewhere that the range, you know, would be over 300 miles, which seems reasonable since this thing uh, has a very low coefficient of drag. I think it's only 0.21. Um, 
Um, so it's very slippery. Um, but it doesn't look like the Ionic 5, which I thought was, was interesting. They've got a, but the, it's still got a little bit of the, the pixel thing in the, the driving lamps, in the headlamp clusters. It's got the, the pixel lights there. But overall, it doesn't have that kind of squared off shape of the Ionic 5. It's a yeah. sleeker shape. I think it's cool that they didn't just try to continue to make it look the same. You know, that it's, it's mm-hmm. like, they don't all need to look the same. Like, it's a different different look. I, did, I didn't want it to just be iterations of the Ionic 5. And it's, yeah. Not, yeah. you know. I and then, I, yeah, dip, I like it. Got to get yeah. small. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's good. Good to see that they're at least at least going to do at least one electric sedan. Yeah, you know they they Honda and Kia they're like sticking with the sedans. They're like, you know what? Everyone else is like exiting this space. That means that uh, those people won't sell cars, and people who want sedans will buy ours. Yeah. They say like, like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> you're saying that like people don't you know drive them anymore. Yeah, but they might not drive them as much. But there's still a heck of a lot of sedans out there. You know? I'm still buying them. Not yeah. as much as the, you know, teeny tiny SUVs, but, well, There's teeny tiny is like, that's not even true. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, tiny. you know, they, they still sell, you know, 200, 250,000 Camrys and Accords each a year, um, and I think a similar number of Altimas. So, you know, there's still a market there. It's not as big as it was 10 years ago, but it's, it's right. still there. It's not like 100,000, so many cars. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, another EV-related story. Um, this one uh, last weekend was the uh, 100th running of the Pikes Peak Hill Climb in Colorado. And uh, in this one, there were a couple of drivers, including Randy Popst. Popst? Is it Popst or Popst? I can't remember. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Anyway, um, driving uh, Tesla Model S Plaids. And uh, the touchscreen in there almost killed the two drivers. Um because there there was fog, and partway up the hill, um, they, they got into the fog, and their windshields fogged up immediately. And because there was no button there that you hit that turns on the defroster, they were, you know, while they were racing up the hill at over 100 miles an hour, they were trying to find the, the defogger uh, control in the touchscreen menus. So this is an example of why touchscreens do not belong in cars that you have to drive. You need you should you need buttons. Yeah. I, I every time someone like leaves buttons in cars, I'm like, oh thank you. And I think more and more automakers are like, you know what? I think we've gone a little too far with this. I think yeah. they're there's, there's 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 a there's a there's a place for touchscreen, but there's also a taste place for buttons. And we gotta put some buttons in here because people like buttons. And apparently it makes it safer when you're uh, flying up Pike's Peak at a hundred and whatever miles an hour. Although I do ever so slightly, not in defense of how it was, because I get it. It should have been easier to reach. But I feel like if I'm going to race a car like you do up Pike's Peak, do not find some of that stuff ahead of time. <laughs> what was that? Would you find some <laughs> of that know where the time? Maybe locate things that might be important, like no... Maybe maybe make sure you could get to that pretty quick if you had to get yeah, like, to like oh we're going up in the mountain it's gonna get cold maybe maybe I should... we should know how the defroster works <laughs> <laughs> or just turn it on beforehand yeah I feel like I'm not 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 like removing fault from Tesla or removing responsibility but like also <laughs> also as a car driver as a race car driver you should know I'm about the second no the problem. second part of that is car yeah. yeah. Car part, the driver part, cool, cool, cool. The car part, <laughs> you're like, maybe I should have looked. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. 
And then uh, the final story I've got uh, for this week is um, <clears throat> TFL Truck. Um, those guys do some some great work. Uh, they're out in Colorado, and they they do a lot of interesting tests, especially you know, if you're if you're into towing and and stuff like that. Uh, and they've done one one of the interesting tests they do is their Ike Gauntlet. They go up to the Eisenhower Tunnel, um, and they drive with a, a truck with a trailer. And they drive down, and it's like several thousand feet descent. It's a pretty steep grade, too. It is. Uh, and then they turn around and go back up. Um, and you know, normally, you know, with a gas or diesel truck, you know, you you have you're using the tow haul mode. And and one of the things they do when they're doing that test is they count how many times you have to tap on the brake uh, during the course of the descent, you know, for it to maintain its speed. Um, and um, Last week they did uh, their Ike test with the uh, uh, with the Rivian uh, R1T and with the Lightning, and um, going down the hill the the Lightning they didn't have they they touched the brake one time at the top and then didn't have to touch it again because the regenerative braking was able to to get enough deceleration to have just have a constant speed all the way down the hill uh, and it worked worked great and then going back up no problem at all towing they were towing an 8000 pound trailer back up the mountain uh had no problem at all doing it never overheated the battery or the the motor um this time uh just today or yesterday they released a new video where they did a test where they compared the lightning against the GMC Sierra Denali Ultimate with a 6000 pound trailer on the back oh, and to and wanted to see how far could they go um, on one charge or one tank of gas? Um, and the uh, uh, the the lightning um, didn't do so well. <laughs> um, <laughs> with a full far. with a full charge, uh, they by the time they got to eighty five miles, it was down to nine percent. Oh, yeah. Time to find some charging. Yep. Yay. And so they had, they had to abort the test and actually go back turn around and go back because the nearest um, charging station, DC fast charging station ahead of them was 40 miles down the road. And they only had oh, about yeah. 20 miles of range. And then there was one about three or four miles back behind them. Um, so uh, this is, you know, I mean, it wasn't level ground. They were going up a slight grade, but still, you know, 85 miles going from a hundred percent to 9% charge uh, was not very confidence inspiring. Wow. Uh, especially since, you know, it, when they started off, that one thing they didn't actually do in the test is, and one of the things that uh, in the interview I did with Darren Palmer uh, when we did the first drive, he talked about they have the calibration mode. So when you hook up a trailer for the first time, there, there's a mo you can go in there, you can give it, you know, information about the weight and the, the height and width and length of the trailer. Um, but uh, there's also a calibration mode where you can go and just drive it for, for 10 miles and you know it measures actually how much uh how much energy it's using to drive that with that particular trailer and it uses that to try to give you a more accurate range estimate and you know when they started off the range estimate was 150 i think 155 miles but they only managed to go a little over 80 about 85 miles um so and i think part of it is because they didn't they didn't do the calibration so they they could have known up front that they weren't going to be able to make it as far okay. as they wanted to go uh but still 85 miles not very good 
It's 0.7 miles per kilowatt hour is what they got. Whoo. Yeah. If you got a, I, I mean, I think if you have a trailer because you go to the lake or you got a boat or whatever, you're still probably just going to need a big truck. And even then, I still think, you know, I still think people, like, if you have a big truck just, just for that, that seems like a lot of money. When you could just rent a big truck whenever you Yeah, well, I mean, if, if you're using it every weekend. Yeah, if you, you use it don't. every weekend. Yeah. But I think I've seen a lot of boats that just sit there for, like, months on end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, well, oh, that's, but a, I mean, that's because you don't have truck. any water in California. That's true. <laughs> we, have, we have lots of lakes here. We have, okay. we have water, too. We also have lakes. Not great, yeah. but we have lakes. <laughs> Next time I'm there, I steal some of your water. Bring it back. Just take some back. Then you guys. Well, you know, like motorcycles. And stuff. If you're someone who's like that's their thing, you do every weekend. Awesome, go for it. But if you're also the person who's uh, you got the jet skis or the motorcycles and you never ride them, but you got the big truck for them, that's a lot of money. Yep, a lot of money. Especially but don't if get a, don't get an EV to, unless you're going. <laughs> they're pretty close. Yeah, I mean, around here, you know, I mean, there's a lot of lakes within a 30-mile radius of where I'm sitting right now. So, I mean, for me, you know, I I could easily use a Lightning, you know, and towing, you know, a couple of jet skis or, in the wintertime, a couple of snowmobiles, you know, 30, 40 miles, not a problem. But, um, yeah, you, you definitely, this is definitely something you need to consider. And, you know, as I said when, when we talked about it before, you know, this is the, the one – the one thing that the Lightning doesn't do better than the gas F-150 is long-distance towing. Short short distances, no problem at all. But long distances, and, you know, this was a tall, wide, tall trailer, you know, so it wasn't particularly aerodynamic, but uh, it's it's still tough. Yeah. yeah. There's right. the brakes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Uh, let's answer a few listener questions. Um, starting off with uh, Chinton Kamen, I think is how you pronounce that, uh, from Twitter. <clears throat> he says, um, my kid is profoundly red-green colorblind. And we were talking about colorblind. Oh, we were talking uh, about Last week or Yay. week before. Uh, it's not that he can't see those colors or that he can't see other colors. It's that those colors look like a muddled, murky brown, and he can't discern between red and green. Good news. He gets his license in two years. <laughs> oh well, I mean that, but that's also why when you hit, when you come to traffic lights, they're all like universally. It's always red on top, yellow, and then green at the bottom. So then, or, the, when you have a car and it turns green for normal mode in your car and red for, he just sees murky brown and murky brown. Yeah, that was a good so, show. Super, super Cruise would not be great. I thought brown. the same thing when I said that murky brown. <laughs> Remember murky brown? That one time they had Paul Rubens. He was their secretary once. At least now we know what happens. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, Fozzie B uh, says, curious, is anyone on the wheel bearings team scheduled to drive the Fisker Ocean? If not, curious what the general sentiment of the team is regarding Fisker's go-to-market strategy with Magnus Steer. Uh, so it's still a little early. The, the ocean's not coming out till the end of the year. They yeah. haven't 
they haven't given any invites to anybody to drive it yet. So probably, you know, in the November, December time frame. Late, yeah, um, I would think late this year us. or early next, depending on how production goes from what yeah. they yeah. said. With everything yeah. going on. Yeah, yeah. But what what do you think about their, their overall strategy? Which, using Magna? Uh, of using Magna to manufacture the vehicles. Oh, God, that's a, a yeah. that's a genius. That's a genius because they build... The Supra, the G-Wagon, some other cars. <laughs> <laughs> they build a lot of vehicles for a lot of manufacturers. Yeah, you, people don't think, of, don't realize that Magna builds a lot of cars for a lot of manufacturers. I think so. it's I, a great idea to get somebody who knows how to build cars to build cars the first time you try. Like, Yeah. I would, well, the, granted, this is the second time that Henrik has tried. Uh, well, the, That's true. It's, it's splitting hairs, whatever. <laughs> and the first time didn't work out so well. So, yeah. So but this time using, he got a better part. What were they using before? Valnet. And, uh, but you know, also last time around, they tried to do more of the engineering in house and they didn't really have the resources to, to engineer the karma fully. Uh, so it was kind of half assed (laughs) to say the least. (laughs) Uh, and you know, so this, this time around, you know, Magna is doing a lot of the vehicle engineering. Um, and so I, I think it'll, I think things will work out a lot better for them. Cool. Uh, and then um, there was uh, oh this this is uh, from some guy named Sam um, responding to a tweet that you had Roberto. But uh, tell us about the time you were allowed to drive a tractor on regular roads before your license before you got your license. So when I was a, a, a young child in my teens, I got a job with the school. If you were poor, you could get a job with the school during the summer. That was that's all you had to be. It was poor and like you'd show up. That's really that was. I thought I would like done all this stuff to get this job. Like I, did, but it turns out you just had to be poor. Um, and so I got a job at the school farm, which is how I ended up in FFA. So at the farm, I was I was only like, I was 13 when I started, and when I drove the tractor, I was probably about 14 or 15. So I'd worked at that farm a few for a few summers, and one day they're like, hey. We need a so they, so. What they do is in California, they use uh, poor children as as uh, farm laborers. Yes, as underage farm laborers. School or or I could have been a janitor, or I could have worked at the bus <laughs> barn. The bus <laughs> barn is where the, all the mechanics were, and that's where the tractor was. And it was probably <laughs> about I don't know, maybe two or three miles away. It's a small town, so it wasn't really that far away. So my boss, who was a teacher, took me over there to pick up the uh, little John Deere tractor. And I had driven it before in class because, you know, there was no labor laws that I couldn't drive. And he was just like, oh, we got to get this back. And he just kind of looked around and was like, well, do you want to drive it back? And I'm like, because oh, I wasn't allowed to use any, like, I wasn't allowed to use the weed whacker or the lawnmower. There's like all these rules. <laughs> but you when you're a big giant tractor. tractor. No problem. But, uh, yeah, but it was like, well, you know how to drive it. It's only down the street. It'll be fine. <laughs> So he gave me the – so he's like, go for it. And so I got to drive the tractor down through Tehachapi as a 15-year-old without a license. And it was the greatest thing ever. I was like, yeah. He's like, do not engage anything. I'm like, I know, I know. I don't know why it was it – it, it felt awesome. It was like the uh, – you know, and to be And to be honest, I had been driving cars way before I was I had a license. I, I kind of got in trouble at some point because of that. <laughs> but I was driving cars before I had a license. But for some reason, driving the tractor just felt way cooler. <laughs> Doing okay. like five so, miles an hour through town with a tractor. Just like, hey. So side, 
side note today for the first time ever, I live out, there's a lot of farms and stuff where I live. And I was just out driving with my daughter and there apparently it's the time of year when you cut all the grass and you turn it into hay bales. And I've never seen this before. And I, for the first time saw a little machine just drive along the cut hay. And then it like little thing goes up and down. And then all of a sudden, foot a bale of hay goes shooting out shooting of the back out. of it. And yeah. I was like, that might be the cool. And I was like, well, literally stop the car. I'm like, check this out. We're like, oh my God, that is the, I want to drive whatever. The rectangular bales or the big uh, the red round ones. These are rectangular yeah. bales. And they literally, it's like the machine drives along and you see little, you see contraptions moving from the road. Things are moving. And all of a sudden like, food, it goes shooting into the air, into <laughs> the thing in the back. I'm like, I want to drive that. I don't even know what that's <laughs> called. Is it a hay baler, I guess? That, Probably. I want to drive that thing. I just want little hay bales to go, food. And it's it's super impressive along. because when you when you when you have the hay when you uh, when you when you snip it open it doesn't just fall into no, it has it stays it's all sections like it's like yeah. little sections so you go, oh, here's a flake of hay for this horse here's a flake of hay for this horse yeah those machines are I don't it was know the, I've some never, genius belt I've thing. never watched it I was like I, I I mean literally there's a farm I could walk to five feet out my door practically I'm like how have I never seen this process before it was the coolest thing I saw all day. <laughs> Driving tractor is fun. It's uh, <laughs> you know you don't have like an accelerator. You have a like well you do have an accelerator, but it's like a, a, a lever and and you have to be careful. That's why there's all those, if you ever look at a tractor, there's all those weights on the front. Like on the front, there's usually like these big like yeah. metal like mm-hmm. those are weights, so you don't do wheelies. Oh, because, because you got so much torque and you have so much torque in the back, and it's you know it's built so we can like you know you're you're attaching things to it. It's dragging. You got a really right. low gear ratio. Yeah, you know, super low. Yeah. So if you're not very careful, fast. you'll 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 flip. You'll you'll. Uh, yeah, I uh, did not know over. that. <laughs> yeah, so that's why all those weights are up in the front. Okay. The more you learn. The more you, you know. Ding 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 ding. Yeah, the ways the more right. you know. Ding, ding, ding. Okay, sorry. Uh, next up, M Burns asks uh, Jeep question number one. With the new Grand Cherokee, will Jeep offer the eco diesel engine as an option at some point? I don't know. It's diesel even a thing people want to do anymore. Yeah, that. I don't I don't I, know. I doubt I, it. I, I would guess no. I, I mean, I'd say the chances are somewhere between slim and none. Yeah, yeah I, don't I don't see that happening. Especially, you know, now that they're going they're electrifying, you know. So you've already got the the plug in hybrid in the regular Grand Cherokee. Um, they're probably almost certainly going to add that to the Grand Cherokee L at some point. Mm-hmm. It's going to be in the Wagoneer. I, and then, you know, then there's battery electric versions coming in the, in a couple of years. Yeah, so I, I would not expect it to ever see another I mean, Jeep diesel. And it could not surprise in us, but it, it just doesn't, it's not, it's not, it would seem like an odd direction given what the direction of things in general is going. And especially with what and, Jeep has said that they're doing. And, and Stellantis also just settled uh, a, a similar diesel gate case to what Volkswagen had um, just a yeah. f- couple of months ago. They paid like, I think almost a billion dollar fine wow. uh, for, for cheating on uh, diesel emissions. Yeah. If you're looking for some for hardcore towing, just to go back to towing, Jeep has Dodge. I mean, Stellantis has Dodge. You know, the yeah, Ram. well, and yeah. you know the not Dodge or Rick Dodge Ram. It's just Ram. you know the Ram. the the, wag, the Wagoneer. The, you know, I'm with old the, school <laughs> with the new Hurricane six cylinder. It'll yeah. tow ten thousand pounds. Uh, you know, I'm sure it's only a matter of time before the Hurricane goes into the Grand Cherokee as well. Yeah, uh, as an option in there, and um, and you know it'll it'll probably have similar towing capability. So yeah, and and then if you need you know more than ten thousand pounds, you know, just get get a Ram. Yep. Get a semi. Okay. <laughs> Jeep question number two. 
Nicole, you speak yes. highly of your family's Jeep Wrangler Unlimited 4xE. If you had to buy a new Jeep Wrangler Unlimited, would you consider the Eco Diesel over the 4xE if cost and or availability of the latter were an issue? Um, I wouldn't go for an Eco Diesel because I didn't I because the whole reason that we got the plug-in the 4xE was because the niftiness of being able to drive in the quiet off-road and the Eco Diesel does not provide that. So the reasons we went with that other powertrains don't work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, it's not that I wouldn't do an eco diesel. It's just that that for me wouldn't have worked. I, what, what sold us on getting the one that we got was when I honestly at the drive program, when I went and I'm like, this is amazing. Just driving out there in this somewhere in Texas and you're driving through this field and you can just hear the grass crunching under the tires and you can hear birds chirping and you can hear your skid plates scraping over you can hear skids scraping over the rocks so it sounds really hokey it's like it's not like I'm like mother earth woman over here but it was nice to be able to hear the world around you and hear the nature around you and you can save that that EV mode until you're off-roading in the four by e that's what made us do it the diesel is not going to do that so and it sounds like a tractor. It sounds yeah. it's it's the exact opposite, <laughs> I think. So I would not. If you were just looking for, I don't know, fuel economy, is that what the is that more what he's asking? Then uh, if you're doing small trips all yeah. week, I mean, I wish one of our cars was a PHEV, one of our gas cars was a PHEV, yeah. because I've just been doing small trips when my wife takes the car to work, the B, the electric car. So I have the BRZ and the Jaguar. The Jaguar has a big has a V6. The BRZ has a four cylinder. Um, and I've been driving the BRZ a little bit more and then I had to go put $60 in gas in it a little bit ago, uh, a few mm-hmm. hours ago. Cause it was on E and the light was on and it was hitting a little yeah, red I thing. I must like, do it. Oh, uh, and while I'm filling it up with gas, I'm like, you know, I love this car, but I wish I had another car that was either a PHEV or an EV. Just like I would wait if I, if availability of the four by E is an issue and I know that it is availability of everything is an issue. Um, if I could wait, I would just wait. I'm like, well, not getting a new car this week. I'm getting a new car whenever yeah. If you're looking like Jeep says it's going to be another month. Okay. It's another month. Jeep says it's another month. It's really another three. Okay. It's another three. Like I would, I like the four by E enough that I would wait for it unless I yeah. had to buy something else. Cause my other car went. Okay. Um, and then final question from Mr. Burns. Uh, Mr. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also a diesel question uh, in general, are diesel ICEs it's internal combustion engines, a bad investment right now. Uh, if you can, if you can't afford to get into a PHEV or a BEV, uh, is there longevity at all in, say, the Ram, Jeep, Eco Diesel, ICE models? Um, so, the Jeeps, yeah, do they even still offer the diesel in the Wrangler? I can't remember. I don't. I'm not I'll sure. Blank. Okay, I know. Speak amongst yourselves. They do, it's the only okay. one. You do the googling, um, Robbie. Yeah. <laughs> if, 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 if they do, the Wrangler is the only one that still offers a diesel. None of the others currently do. Um, and then there is the Ram. Uh, and, you know, I think it, it dep- the answer depends a lot. Um, you know, if you're going to do a lot of long-distance towing, then a diesel is actually a, probably your best option mm-hmm. because that is kind of the ideal use case for a diesel. You know, under load – uh, you know, con- relatively constant speed, those things just, they rock. You know, they, you, you're going to, with a gas engine, um, and, and, you know, going back to the, the TFL video, um, you know, the Denali the that they were driving with the 6.2 liter V8, that thing only got seven miles per gallon Ouch. towing that trailer. 
Oh my god! So you know, it didn't do it didn't actually do a whole lot better than the EV. Wow. But with a diesel, if you had if you had that truck with GM's three liter inline six diesel uh, pulling that same trailer, you probably could have got close to twenty miles per gallon. And the same thing is true with the Ram. So if you actually do a lot of long distance towing, the diesel is actually your best option. Anything else? I would probably not go for the diesel at this point. Yeah, yeah I don't. I yeah. I wouldn't. I don't think I would. I don't. I, I don't even necessarily think it's like. Is it a bad investment? I just don't see. I I just would, unless I'm towing, I wouldn't do it. Unless I'm towing, yeah. I wouldn't do it. I mean, they're towing, they're, they're it. more they're more expensive. Uh, the fuel is typically more expensive, uh, at least here in the U.S. Um, and I mean, I. You know, I'm a fan of diesels. I like diesel engines. You know, we we used to own a, a Jetta diesel uh, until we had to sell it back to Volkswagen. Uh, but you know, so I <laughs> I do like diesels. I, I like the the torque that they make, um, and you know, I, I and in a lot of cases I, I like the sound that they make. Like I I like the especially the GM diesel. The 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 Stellantis Eco Diesel is not quite that refined. But the, the GM diesel is a fantastic engine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you were going to get an internal combustion light-duty truck or SUV from GM, I would seriously consider that one. Um, like I say, especially if you're going to do any towing or, you know, uh, haul, regularly hauling heavy payloads, um, that's that's where that engine rocks. Because, um, I mean, I had an Escalade with that diesel in it last year and got – 22 23 miles per gallon with it um and you know i've had the ram diesel before and gotten you know 23 miles per gallon with a thousand pounds of fencing material in the uh in the back of the, in the bed no mulch no no mulch that trip oh. that mulch isn't even heavy built, enough the diesel just laughs at it. that was just built, <laughs> building a fence for somebody um around their yard so um you know the, for those kinds of use cases diesel's great Everything else at this point, you're pretty much better going some, you know, either plug-in or plug-in hybrid or battery electric. Yeah, there's a so you can get a three-liter V6 turbo diesel engine with the uh, on the the Wrangler. It's okay. thirty-five hundred dollars more. Okay. So it's more expensive. <laughs> yeah, I mean on 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 the um, on the GM full-size SUVs like the Escalade and I think the Tahoe. The diesel is actually the same price as the 6.2 liter V8. Um, so you can, I mean, if you get an Escalade, you can pick either one for the same price. Mm-hmm. Escalade. The Escalade. Not the Escalative, just the regular Escalade. Just the, yeah, Escalade. not the Escalade. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think the only other thing we've got for this week is I've finally got uh, the interview I did with Jack Hollis uh, during Toyota Palooza. Jack Hollis is uh, he is now the senior vice president of the automotive operations group at Toyota. Uh, the week after we were there, he got promoted. Uh, I can't remember what his old title was when I talked to him, but he's he's basically in charge of um, all the automotive stuff at Toyota North America now, and uh, so we talked about. EVs and hybrids and uh, Toyota and, and so on. Uh, so I'll drop that in here and we'll say goodbye um, and talk to you next time. See Yay. ya. Have a nice fourth. Do some Bye. Bye. barbecuing or whatever you people do. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>
it's been a been a busy week for everybody, I'm sure. Yes, sir. Um, you guys have uh, announced a lot of things this week. Uh, we've seen and driven uh, a number of different things. Um, one, I guess, one area I'd like to start with is uh, you know kind of this this transition that is happening in the industry right now and how Toyota. Uh, is looking at you know we've got this shift towards more electrification, um, connectivity, um, uh, more advanced ADAS systems, uh, automation. Um, how what's you know how does Toyota um, how is Toyota going to handle this transition? Um, how's it how, how do you see it impacting the kinds of products you do and, and how? Uh, you deal with customers, um, especially around education around these technologies. Okay, you got a little bit of a couple of things that I can go with, and I want to make sure that I answer. So I'll go one way, and then you can. Okay. Um, let me know if I'm kind, kind of an open-ended question. What well, it is, and I want to make sure I hit the core because yeah. I think that it's really critical to understand what we're looking at as a company because it's battery electric that we're bringing as a company we've seen a lot it's, it's not exclusive to Lexus or Toyota right it's across both but the way the taste of each of our brands is going to handle some of these things slightly differently right Where like we do on every other product mm-hmm. so when you look at there's, there's slight there tends to be a bit of a difference at the luxury side the Lexus side you have a lot of consumers who are going and getting a lot of education around the entire EV infrastructure, or I'm sorry, EV ecosystem. What we have found is you find some of the more luxury buyers, they're installing chargers in their homes prior to purchasing a vehicle. Uh-huh. They're going and getting educated with a private you know, electrician, and they're setting up their house, and people who are building new homes at a luxury level, I'm here in, in Texas, next door neighbor, they're building it with, with a, one of the, the one neighbor directly next to me is building it with a fast charger in his house. I don't know why he needs a fast charger. Do you see fast charger? Yeah. But, so why does yeah. he need that? But he, he is committed to that. Right? That's a luxury buyer. He already has two luxury vehicles in the home, one being electric, one not. But so, so, so I want us to th- separate these. Mm-hmm. So there's a is an education level though that has to be across the entire EV ecosystem, both the Toyota Lexus and the industry. Mm-hmm. Okay. So with that said, we're putting forth a lot of efforts with our dealers to make sure that we are first starting by the educating our dealers mm-hmm. of all of the elements for them to start to consider, and at the exact same time, we're encouraging our dealers to look at themselves not as a EV product seller, not just an EV vehicle sales uh, seller, but an EV ecosystem concierge. Does that make sense? Yes, no, that's a, that's a that's a good way, a good perspective on it. I think is an EV system concierge or ecosystem concierge. Okay, so it, since we're doing that, I need you to understand is that your question is what are we doing specifically? Well, I can't really call it each one of those, but we're, what we're going beyond what the normal is, which is product knowledge or EV charging, that's the, that's the basics. We're talking about everything from home charging versus public charging, education on your vehicle, and what does that mean? You know, tire wear. Tire wear right now, industry-wise, is somewhere about twice as fast as normal tire wear, if you look at the, 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 the companies out there. Well, what does that mean for you, Mr. Customer? So there's elements like those that were there. So to answer your question of where we're going, 
is we are going <laughs> to is what is the maximum amount of education we can provide. But we can't just look at it as just for our own brand. We have to look at the EV ecosystem because we want customers to experience the joy of an EV vehicle. And to do so means you have to do more than give them just product knowledge. Right. Okay. You gave me an open-ended question. I gave you an open-ended answer. No, that's, that's a, a great. Longer answer. <laughs> no, that, 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 that's great. Yeah, because I think that idea of educating people around the ecosystem, because the ecosystem is it's not just the vehicles that are changing. It's the whole ecosystem, charging versus fueling, um, you know, and, and, and you know, how, how you service and maintain these vehicles over their lifespan. How much time does it take to charge the vehicle? What, what kind of planning do you have to do for a trip? What kind of planning do you have to do for a trip? Um, I mean, it, it's just so many different elements here. But, I, but where you talk about us showing, and one of the things we tried to share, I think, this week, that I think we've done a really good job, I really, I really think, is, is that that's just on EV because mm-hmm. it's the, quote-unquote, newest right now. Right. That same education and planning is also around things like how does the hybrid system work? How does the plug-in hybrid system different? Mm-hmm. Uh, diff, uh, it, it, how it's different? How is that different from EV? And how is that different from fuel cell, the hydrogen fuel cell technology? Because all four of those have distinct educational needs uh-huh. and consumer feedback based upon their own. They, they need to make a decision of what vehicles best fits their driving and their ultimate needs. So the education is going, the education piece, I love the word, I appreciate that. The education and training right now is one of our uh, probably most, most, most critical focuses right now. Okay. Both, both for internally for uh, the, the the dealerships, us with the dealerships and the consumer. There's two pieces, right? Two streams of work, right? And they're both really hot right now. And, and since the dealer is the interface with the consumer, you know, it's I mean, it seems like it's particularly important to make sure they understand. Absolutely. Uh, you know, so that they can transmit that mess the messages back both in both directions, both from. The company to the consumer, and from the cons- from the consumers to provide the feedback Correct. to you guys. Which, and listen, I'm going to go every single time you give me a chance like that. I'm going to tell you why I, I expect and why I know that Toyota and Lexus will be successful in this. And that's because when you continue to look at the relationships that we have with our dealers, as rated by NADA being number one and number two for you now double digit years, the relationship we have with our dealers is a both way situation. Us helping them to be best for the customer, and then the customer through them helping us be the best we can backwards. It means back and forth. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm so confident in whatever ways we go, we're going to be effective because that relationship is solved. That communication is solved. That's the overall relationship with us, with our dealers and the consumers that has the right uh, balance. Yeah, and you know, over the, the past year in particular, um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion, uh, you know, that around the, the whole idea of, you know, Trying to achieve carbon neutrality and what are mm-hmm. you know there's there's no silver bullet solution to to getting there you know which is why you know, you're still very much committed to to hybrids and, and fuel cells you know finding the best tool for the job mm-hmm. you know, whatever whatever that job is and not every driver has the same job right. and they don't need the same tools your needs if you where where do you live uh, just outside of Ann Arbor okay um, the needs of a person living in Detroit Metro. Chicago, 
LA or Houston yeah. are significantly different than if you're living in Colorado Springs or Tulsa, Oklahoma or uh, Charleston, West Virginia, or, right? You have different needs. The city life of driving, where your round trip, tri- your round trip to work, that might be you know, 25 miles, and your round trip in, city, in larger cities is 50 miles. I mean, the, the, those are, there's a significantly different need on your product. Uh-huh. And like you said earlier, but you want to plan a trip to go see grandma, you know, that, that trip of 500 miles to 900 miles or 1,000 miles, that, that changes everything. Yeah. So what is it your needs? And I think what specific is, if we play this out the way it's always been done in America, is if you let the consumer decide between multiple choices that benefits carbon neutrality, you will get to carbon neutrality a lot faster than trying to push them only into one powertrain. Because the consumer still has to, should have the choice and should make that best, what's best for them while still reducing carbon. I have, uh, you know, with dealers, um, certainly, you know, we've, we've seen in certain parts of the country, EVs have had a much higher rate of adoption than other sure. parts of California. Absolutely. That's the main one. But, you know, even, even here in Texas, there's a pretty strong rate of adoption. And a lot of southern states. Do you ever foresee uh, a time when you might start to have, even though you're maintaining this diversity of powertrains, mm-hmm. where you might start to see some of your dealers start to specialize in one area or another. Uh, I know, you know we've heard that from Ford you know, around their reorganization into Ford Blue and Model E, uh, where they want to have some dealers that are focused on EVs um, you know, or, you know, in your case, it could be hybrids or, or ICE vehicles for certain markets. Do you see that as something that would, for Toyota at least, for Toyota and Lexus, that would ever be potentially desirable or useful? That's a fantastic question. It's a different way of looking at it than I've heard before. It's clear that California's adoption is, is and always has been on newer technology. They've been early adopters. So when I see through a, a, a lens of a California dealer, I see them um, adopting earlier. Are you asking me between, let's just take the, I'm trying to get an example, I want to make sure I understand what you're specifically asking. Are you talking about, is there, do you think there would be a specialized difference between one dealer in LA and another dealer in LA? Yeah. yeah. Would, would there be, do you to foresee a time when there might be some dealer, some Toyota dealers in LA or you know, anywhere else that sell only EVs while others sell the full lineup? No, I do not see that. Okay. I do not see that. And that's why I want to make sure I was clear with your question. Yeah. I, I don't really see that. I see that there are areas of the country which will have higher, like we do today. In Texas, you see a higher percentage of trucks being sold. When I go to Florida, you got a higher level of Camrys being sold. If I go to New York, I got Corollas being sold. If I go to different places, Colorado, it's a mix. And, okay, so when I see that, I see the difference. There's different models. Uh-huh. But based on powertrain, do I see somebody being exclusive on this or that? No, I don't. I see that the full lineup across the, both in the state and then through the country. Okay. Um, one of the, the things uh, seen I spoke with Andrew Gilland earlier about oh, this. Oh, good. Um, you know, we've, especially over the past year with the supply constraints, um, you know, some, some, some other manufacturers have seen uh, a marked shift uh, to consumers you know, from the traditional approach in the U.S. market of buying vehicles out of dealer inventory mm. to ordering mm. vehicles. Um, 
is that something that you see that you're seeing at all for Toyota? Um, I know for for Lexus, you know, you know, I guess it's mostly been dealing ordering from what's incoming. Um, you know, and Toyota and Lexus, you know, both traditionally had fewer buildable combinations of vehicles. Um, but do you, are you seeing any kind of shift towards um, you know consumers ordering a specific vehicle that they want? First, I'd say that we're seeing the same evidence in both Toyota and Lexus. Okay. okay, we're not seeing any differences, and right now that's because I think there's still such a large gap between the supply and the demand. Mm-hmm. With, the supply, with, the, with the demand being so high still, we don't see a big difference. Okay. Two is, I think that the idea of taking an order or a vehicle ordering, uh, to be specific, it's more about them, it's more about them, it's more like re- reserving, right, versus an order. I want to make sure we're clear. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of consumers who are ordering, I want this car this way, da, 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 mm-hmm. no, it's here are the vehicles we have coming in, and the consumer is saying, I would like to reserve one of those. Yeah. Just want to make sure we're defining yeah. things a little differently. And in that, we are seeing the dealer model um, really being able to spend a lot of time with that customer. So it's funny, some people think it's less touch. It's actually more touch because with the vehicle coming in, the consumer is saying, I want to raise my hand for that vehicle. They want to make sure they're raising their hand for exactly what they want. Mm-hmm. So they're spending a little bit more, there's a little bit more of a personal touch. So what we're seeing is, a little bit more time taken, right, to find that vehicle. We're also seeing very few people who put you know, reserve it and then walk away. Those reservations are happening. They're landing. They're staying there, and they're committed. And so we're seeing that as a trend across both Toyota and Lexus of a lot more, if you want to say, satisfaction with their purchase process. People are taking the time. Third is while we're, we will definitely plan to keep our um, our uh, inventory at a lower level than we have had previously. You've heard that in different numbers. I don't really want to get into the exact number of inventory. I can simply tell you that we will, we, in conjunction with our dealer council, both at Lexus and at Toyota, we will maintain a shorter amount of ground stock inventory, but allowing a lot of this reservation. And then, are you familiar with both of our Smart Path for Toyota and Monogram programs? Uh, no, not so it's much. Our online, our digital oh, okay. solution. Yeah. And both of those... So let's take Smart Path for Toyota. You know, it was helped. It was developed by a group of dealers for dealers. Right? They helped us to develop the system. That system, where where really you can go on, sh- shop, build, order, deliver, purchase everything online. Right? That becomes more of a model that dealers are going to be wanting to use, uh-huh. allowing that customer a lot more of the control and the flexibility in the in that in that buying process. Uh-huh. So we I do see that growing. As part of that, do you see um, you know the the dealers being involved? In, you know, if the, if the customer is order doing their order online, configuring their vehicle online, uh, do you see the dealers you know perhaps participating in that? Um, you know, maybe through a chat or some some oh, yes. some mechanism to, to help guide them how to figure out what they want all the time. And our system that we created was it's a it's it's a, okay. it's a direct sales, but through the dealer. Okay. So the dealer is allowing the dealer is can active at any moment. You can chat, call, okay, come in. You could actually say you could say you could shop and configure, come into the dealership, and the, and the dealer could pull it up because it's saved right there. Dealer, oh yeah, let's look at it together. So yeah, uh, it's a lot of touch from okay. the, from the from the dealer. Um, Shift to connected uh, services. Okay. Um, re- several years ago, uh, Toyota moved to an in-house 
telematics platform uh, from using uh, an external platform. Um, how how are you seeing the consumer adoption of that? You know, beyond trial periods, are are you satisfied with the the take rate? I guess uh, that people are are subscribing to those kinds of services. Gosh, you're opening up a big one. One, I'm never satisfied because I don't think we've ever reached it, and that's part of the Kaizen approach to it. We we always need to get better. Right. So no, I'm not. I'm I'm not. However, where we are today has exceeded the expectations that we set for ourselves. Some of the internal metrics of of uh, connectivity and, and and subscriptions and. So we've, we've exceeded the original expectations. So the, so the question is, is that because the system's better or our expectations are too low? I mean, we can, we can go back and forth on this. Yeah. My point is, I think where we are right now is actually on the right growth curve, the right learning curve. Looking, you know, a few years down the road from now, is, you know, we're getting more and more uh, software-defined vehicles out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, features being available as... Over-the-air updates, or you know, things that you subscribe to, you know, is, do you see that as being a uh, significant part of Toyota's revenue stream going forward? Hmm. I, guess, I guess you know, what what kind of feedback are you seeing from consumers about their willingness to subscribe to features? Okay, well. I don't know, when we talk about words like significant, revenue, I, I would say this. The idea of software first, you probably heard us talk about it in the Lexus lab where you're taking a software first approach, is clearly part of our going forward strategy. Two is, you have, I think there's a difference between the consumer's expectations or what is, what is their expectation of, you know, uh, required in a vehicle that they believe should be purchased price and then there's other than the optional that are services. So I think what you're, I think the first is is to really understand from the consumer's point of view what is the table stakes. That that to me is a little bit of what that I think we're still trying to figure out from the industry level. What 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 must a vehicle have that's part of just the purchase of a vehicle, and what is then more an optional or an upgrade to what you want out of your vehicle? No different than when you have if you buy a streaming service or do you need how many streaming services do you need for your TV? Do you have Disney Plus and Apple TV and Roku and I'm making it up now. The question is, each individual wants to have the basics covered. Uh-huh. That's what we're. I think that's right now where uh, both Toyota and Lexus, as well as the industry, is trying to, to to figure that out. And that's going to be who can listen to the customer best to provide that. And that's what we're working on right now. So let's take for example something like Teammate. Okay. Um, yeah, a feature like Teammate. But now you're switching over from connected services to autonomous well, features. But well, where, where I'm going with this Sorry. is you know, as, as a feature that you would subscribe to. So okay. you, know, you look at you know, okay. Tesla as an example. You know, they build in you know, the hardware for their so-called self-driving system on, on every vehicle. <laughs> and then you can purchase that you know, as, a, as an over-the-air sure. software update. Got it. I got it. Um, you know, or you can subscribe to it. Do you see... Do you think... Consumers are going to be interested or willing to pay for a feature like Teammate as a subscription, uh, as opposed to you know I bought the car with this hardware on it. I expect to be able to use it. Mm. I'm going to tell you at this point, it's too early to tell. 
Yeah. And that's part of what I think we need to research. Not research, we need to learn more. I believe there's a value to teammate that has a value mm-hmm. proposition or a cost. Or there's a cost, mm-hmm. and there's a value proposition to the customer. Whether that becomes an optional as a service or included as a hardware expectation is what I was saying a little bit earlier. Right. That is really where we're trying to draw a line and figure out what do we know this is. Because you need to have, right? You need to have critical mass on what is an expectation. You know, today, you know, you, you used to be, you make, you know, let's go to some of the basics of uh, airbags in your car. Mm-hmm. Well, today you can't charge for how many airbags. Right. Because it's the expectation that airbags are there for the, okay. Well, every service that's provided, at some point people are going to be like, I think that service is just supposed to come to my vehicle. I want to turn my radio on and it plays. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, what, 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 what apps am I getting to use in my car? So the answer to that question regarding teammate or anything else like that has to be decided by the customer value. Okay. All right, I think we're out of time. All right. They got me on a, uh, I'm on a, they got me on a treadmill (laughs) for the next two hours. Okay. Um, Just any last thoughts that you want to share about Toyota? Yeah. I'll end with the, is I think that where we're at for both Toyota and Lexus as part of the, in, in this industry is you have a significant number of companies making very large strategic decisions for long term. Mm-hmm. If you look at every day, there's somebody who wants to make a statement, and you know, through your publication or anyone else's, right? They want everybody wants it, and I think you have a lot of speculation. I still believe in the in the history of American economics is listening to the customer, and I think those who listen to the customer. This is not one company or a government telling us what to do. This is about what is the customer's value proposition will win the day. And why I'm confident in both Toyota and Lexus is I think that's what we do better than anybody in the industry. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Anytime. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.